Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of routine Walgreens trips? Get rewarded for shopping with Drop. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards on groceries, gas, and more. Download Drop now and use code DROP55 to get $5 in points. Join Drop today. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccan. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. As our fellow longtime listeners know, we're all film buffs here and stuff they don't want you to know. Big fans of cinema in almost any form. And today we're diving into film conspiracies of all types. Right? Like, we would say we're film buffs. I only like movies. Oh, yeah, you are. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're a movie man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, I officially have a, a degree in filmmaking, although without the actual film. You're a professor of cinema? I f- uh, no. I feel I, like you're high this right now. All right. No, no, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm... I'm all about this kind yeah, of stuff, yeah, yeah. as we all are, sure. and we have an interest in it. But we're not here alone. That's true, Matt. Today, we are joined with our collective pal, a pioneer of podcasting, a friend of the show, and an actual outside-of-work personal friend of ours to boot, Charles W. Chuck Bryant, host of Movie Crush, as well as Stuff You Should Know. Thanks for coming on the show, Chuck. Hey, guys. Hey, man. <laughs> I've got so many questions already. Oh, oh yeah? yeah? Ben, question for you. Mm. Fans of almost all kinds of film, what uh, what kinds of film are you not a fan of? Oh, I was. I just wanted to leave people in out in okay. case one of the guys was like, you know what? <laughs> Screw spaghetti westerns. I hate Ennio Morricone. I love Ennio Morricone, so it would have been driving some tension into our relationship. All right. But not all films are for all people. You're probably not a fan of snuff films, for example. <laughs> yeah, actually, hmm. I hope that's not a hot take. I'm not, you know. There you go. Call me old-fashioned. Right. Good answer. So 
we um, for for background, uh, how would you describe Movie Crush, the podcast? Like how how you uh, the germ of the idea, uh-huh. how you grew it, what you guys do, and I, I know Noel's on there as well. That's right. Well, Movie Crush started as uh, as hey, let me interview a celebrity uh, and release every Friday, and they talk about their favorite film, all time favorite movie is The Conceit. And it is still that at times, but uh, it has morphed over the past two years. Just had the two-year anniversary. And now uh, we do these mini crushes on Monday with uh, Noel as co-host where we uh, have a great movie-going community on Facebook. And we post questions and polls and do a lot of interactive fan stuff, which is a lot of fun. And then Fridays now, it turns out booking celebrities is a hard thing to do. What? And I got kind of sick of it. Uh, If they come my way now, great, I'll do that. But I have a stable of friends and family and colleagues now that come in and we do film series and filmmaker series and just whatever you want to talk about about a specific film. And just really quickly, just to make sure this is crystal clear, this is Chuck reaching out doing this booking solo. We don't yeah. have like a staff of like booking agents that are trying to <laughs> no, secure that was the case. guests for I'd still be crush. interviewing celebrities and <laughs> not my friends, family, and colleagues. <laughs> no, but, it's great though. These are great conversations no matter who it is. And it turns out the the listening community was like, I don't care if it's a celebrity. These are great conversations. Maddie, we're doing – I don't even know what to call I it. Think, Originally, it was just hit movies. We're just going to go with 99, I think. Okay. That's the, the way to 1999 go. and movies. Yeah, man. Well, speaking of your colleagues and friends that you interview, you have a whole series. By the way, Paul has been on that show mm-hmm. numerous times. Paul and I are doing a Super Sophia Coppola series. Yeah, oh. if you guys want to hear Paul's voice, he never speaks on this here podcast. Yeah. You can hear him speak on Chuck's. That's, That's right. True. But another person you interview is a colleague – uh, named Casey Pegram, yeah. and that is what we really want to get into first. Ah, yes, Casey Pegram, a.k.a. La Bouche, as he's known in France and in a couple of different podcasts. <laughs> the what? It's a, uh, We have this idea that Casey is, in addition to being a super producer in Atlanta, uh-huh. you know, this is a true story. You, you guys, we all know how he disappears for like at least three weeks once a year. Sure, he goes France. to France. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we have this vision of him leading a, a completely Completely different double oh, right. life where he's Labouche. <laughs> he has like an earring okay. and a leather jacket. Is he an assassin or is he just <laughs> Labouche? He is just an international man of mystery. Okay, I guess. Assassining you. is probably on the table, but right, uh, right. if it comes up, yeah. I really <laughs> thought you, y'all were going into a, the mighty Bouche thing there for a second. I thought that's what no, this whole no. thing oh. was. Just Labouche, it means the mouth. Yeah. If I'm not oh, mistaken. Yeah. yeah. All right. he's, he's kind of like a broker of film related crime. Uh-huh. We haven't really <laughs> figured it out, but we're pretty sure he has maybe two secret families of France that right. are unaware of each other do is, guys, is one of us, uh, before next year, say, hey, Casey, I saved up some dough, man, and I would love a tour guide, uh, and can we coincide our trips and just see if he's like, how weird uh, he gets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sort of like to do my own thing. <laughs> Not actually going this year. <laughs> Let's, yeah, right. You know what? That sounds like a plan, and we have enough time to do it. All right, great. Um, but the series you make with him yes. is focused on a particular filmmaker, or at least several – you've made several in that vein. That's right. Talking about Stanley Kubrick, which is somebody we've spoken about before on this show. Mm-hmm. We kind of want to get your take. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's start with uh, – this is one of the – when we think of conspiracy theory in film, yeah. one of the, the things that will be most apparent in the front of the mind of the mainstream listener, whatever, is going to be – stuff related to Stanley Kubrick, right? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to get your takes on some of the most prevalent 
conspiracy theories or fringe theories regarding Kubrick and his body of work. So you've heard the one about uh, Stanley Kubrick faking the moon landing, sure. right? Okay. Uh, well, let's just really fast. Yeah. Do you think there's anything to that with the with the technology that was being developed to shoot that film uh-huh. in tandem with our efforts to get to the moon? Do you have any feeling that something weird was going on there or it's just all – I mean it's just all happened to be coinciding? Uh, I don't think anything was going on there. OK. Um, I know part of the the credence to this theory is that 2001 A Space Odyssey looked so realistic and who else would you go to? But, you know, he enlisted real real people from NASA if I'm not mistaken and, mm. and astronauts and engineers. Like that's why that movie looks so great. Not to say he couldn't have done that to fake the moon landing as well, I guess. Well, <laughs> he's just also as such an auteur who's famous for having so many multiple takes of things. It seems like he'd be a real pill to work with faking a moon landing. Like how many <laughs> takes do you have to have right. of the of like each step, right? Yeah, I for, okay, here's here's my my kind of updated take after doing a little more research on this, and we're, it's slightly tangent here, but it's coming right back and it's related, okay? Mm-hmm. Stay with me here. Um, when Steven Spielberg made Close Encounters of the Third Kind, allegedly mm-hmm. he received uh, a lot of criticism from NASA for producing that movie. And the way the story goes is that they were worried that audiences would have a similar reaction to the concept of extraterrestrials visiting as they did to the concept of giant sharks being in the waters near uh, places where people just go hang out and swim in the ocean. Um, But also, I've not ever read this letter, this strongly worded 20-page letter that NASA sent to Spielberg. 20 pages? Allegedly. Okay. I've never read it. and I've I've not seen anyone actually write out, you know, points from it, but it's been alluded to several Mm -hmm. times over the years. Um, And it just goes back to that concept of creating a movie like Space, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, like the concept that it could possibly be dangerous to society by releasing it because it puts these images into our brains, these ideas of like mm-hmm. uh, with Close Encounters, a, a, an extraterrestrial force visiting us and what that would mean. Interesting. Um, Wait, are you saying that like from a PR standpoint it was it would have been a bad move? It's like we don't want to cause a panic. Public panic I, I think is what – We don't want people worrying about this stuff. Better to think of other things, you know, like – See, like, I always heard it was different. I always heard that these films – had supposedly been commissioned by the government to soften us up to the idea mm-hmm. yes. of alien invaders or well, whatever. So again, like you're talking about essentially different people's viewpoints and the way they're thinking about mm-hmm. these concepts of conspiracy. I guess it could go either way. Well, it, it could be, right? It it's, softens you up or scares the heck out of you. It's interesting because we see – if we look at the trends in sci-fi, we see something happening with AI, uh, which was a, a, a pretty cool correlation um, that that I didn't I didn't discover. But what, one of our friends, uh, Dan, actually discovered this one, and uh, we see how in times past, right, especially during nuclear scares or communist scares, technology or androids were depicted as this other, this dangerous thing. But now increasingly, we've moved from a Terminator franchise to a more friendly thing, right? Like a more of a WALL-E world. And so um, I, without getting too far away from the alien stuff and the NASA stuff, I did find 
Uh, I found this quoted in a couple places, a quotation purporting to be from Steven Spielberg uh, regarding this NASA letter. And I would like to read it uh, just to just to see what our reactions are to this. I really found my faith when I heard that the government was opposed to the film. Close Encounters. If NASA took the time to write me a 20-page letter, then I know there must be something happening. I had wanted cooperation from them, but when they read the script, they got very angry and felt that it was a film that would be dangerous. I felt they mainly wrote the letter because Jaws convinced so many people around the world that there were sharks in toilets and bathtubs, not just in the oceans and rivers. They were afraid the same kind of epidemic would happen with UFOs. Difference being sharks are proven to exist. And I mean <laughs> now I, I haven't seen Close Encounters in a long time, mm-hmm. possibly not even all the way through. But aren't the aliens nice? Are they not nice? Yeah. I mean the only time you actually – I mean should we spoil alert this? Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's have not alert. seen this old, old movie <laughs> yeah. in the 1970s. Uh, the only time you actually see the aliens, the final third encounter, is at the very, very end of the film. And all that happens really is Richard Dreyfus goes up the plank and is greeted very warmly, Ben. Um, we don't know what happens after that door shuts, but that's true. <laughs> they appear to be very friendly Yeah, as that door is shutting. It's sort of a hand-holding thing, if I'm not mistaken. It seems weird, though, with all the stuff that NASA has on its plate back then and now, it seems weird that they would take so much time to write to this guy about a fictional film. And God, how much they have felt about Independence Day, am I right? I mean, <laughs> right, you know? right. That's what I'm saying, man. Talk about See, pandemonium. They knew that the extraterrestrials that are very much real, my friends, that are out there are mm-hmm. dangerous. And they didn't want us to think they were nice and friendly and we could talk to them with our keyboards. They're like, don't go up the gangplank, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. You, you fool. Yeah. They're going to put things in your butt. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. That's I think that's in the original script. Probably right? so. that was the, it was close encounters of the butt kind. Yeah, exactly. Right? So let's take it all the way back, yes. just really fast, to Stanley Kubrick, and then we'll we'll sure, yeah. we'll end there with the the moon landing conspiracies in general. Mm-hmm. If you take it away from Stanley Kubrick, do you do you have any doubts that we went to the moon? Of course not. Okay. And then the uh, you know the things everyone knows sort of the why they believe it was faked with the, the flag flying and the shadows not being quite right. Uh, what else is there? Is there a footprint situation that's an issue? Did I make that up? Situation. There's the idea that, that the the lunar dust would have moved differently, but it's also – it's a question of the film technology at the time. It and also we had never been to the moon, so we're not quite <laughs> right. sure what yeah. stuff looks like. When filmed on a camera. Silly question. Do we have access to like what, what would the camera look like they shot this on? I've never uh, – Well, never. that's one of – well, actually, that's the, the, the still camera. That's one of the, the uh, theories is that in the reflection of I think Armstrong's face, whatever you call Hel- it. Helmut? Face, his helmet, visor. His, his visor. visor. Yes. Um, Faceplate? <laughs> <laughs> you can see the photo being ta- – a very clear reflection of the astronaut taking the photo – but, like, you can't see a camera, man. There's no camera. But apparently the camera is embedded. Attached. Yeah, it's attached to the suit. That makes sense. And it's his like hands chest. were sort of right at chest level, so it all checks well, out. Yeah, because the story is that they're, they could barely move their hands at all, and it and was I tremendously— mean, the camera? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, don't have the dexterity. Also, uh, this, this is interesting because it ties into, of course, uh, one of Kubrick's um, one of Kubrick's most well-known films— 
the adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining, right? Or the mm. thing inspired by the novel uh, because there are people who people who believe that Kubrick was somehow involved in uh, faking the moon landing also believe that he decided the best way to tell people this <laughs> was through some sort of Rube Goldberg-esque series of clues hidden in a completely unrelated film. Oh, right. there's an absolute uh, laundry list of weird hidden stuff in The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, much of it doesn't refer to that at all. That refers to like Indian genocide, Native right. American genocide yeah. and things like that. The gold like standard, that. room 237, Exactly. Right? Yes, yeah. that's exactly the film. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, Chuck, I am, I am not surprised and also immensely reassured that uh, this was not the moment where we learned that you were convinced. <laughs> no, <laughs> a, a mooner. <laughs> that you were a mooner. I like that phrase. Do you guys like mooner? I love it. Let's put that on a T-shirt. Right? So in The Shining, it's supposedly like Danny's sweater with the yeah. Apollo yeah. rocket. As and he stands up. The carpet, that, that now iconic pattern is one of the launch, like the launch pads. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, these are all, that's very flimsy stuff to be Dude. delivering a message. You know, and then there was the fake video, you know, from it's like four years ago where someone had a video where Stanley Kubrick came clean about the whole thing. Uh, and this is like the 2015. Did you ever see this? I did. Yeah. And it was this long interview where he copied the whole thing. It was all very believable. But it's not Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. Not. That was the one problem. It was a guy who was making a movie about Stanley Kubrick. And this was a guy who played like old Kubrick. Oh. But I watched it today and I looked at it and I was like, well, that's not even him. There is a like how tape. they fool so many people. Yeah. Wow! There, there is a tape of Kubrick that came out not terribly terribly long ago where he explains the ending of 2001: A Space Odyssey, which is interesting just oh, to yeah? listen to. He kind of expl- I can't remember exactly what what he said. But Hold was, on, is it real? Is it an audio? audio? No, it's an audio <laughs> it tape. It, it's, it's 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 confirmed. It's from a BBC interview. Oh, or something okay, that's a that's a legit I had source. No idea there were counterfeit Kubricks just running amok. Well, nowadays with all this deep fake stuff, we got to figure out how to really you know confirm the validity of footage. True. Nowadays. Days, you can't believe people unless you meet in person. Seriously. Right? This is something that's fascinating because it still sticks around in the cultural zeitgeist, even though it is very easily debunked, right? You can, you first off, moon landing stuff, last thing I'll say about it, you don't need a particularly advanced telescope to look at the moon and see reflections of man-made things on there. Or see, um, sorry, signs of man-made things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and the, you can shoot a laser if you have the right equipment and it will reflect back on that laser reflector that's there. And if you don't have a giant laser, let <laughs> us tell you, today's episode is brought to you by gigantic Fred's lasers. Giant lasers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, buy buy uh, two, get three free. Uh, it's an economy of scale. There, <laughs> There is a thing here that happens. Uh, there, there is a thing, uh, a thread, rather, a thematic narrative thread when we talk about Kubrick uh, that goes across several of his movies. And it's the idea that somehow this – creator is speaking to us, the audience, through code, right? And that these films are somehow, you know, they're they're, um, multi-layered, right? But that one of those lower layers is a a message of some sort. And this, sure, it's, it's prevalent when we hear discussion of The Shining, but then when we get to his last film, Eyes Wide Shut, it's like the door is blown off the hinges, right? You know, I think we've all heard this. And I want your opinion. Was Eyes Wide Shut actually coded expose on some elite cabal or some real, real cult thing? 
Uh, why is everyone looking at me? <laughs> well, because Chuck, you, you're, the, I don't, <laughs> you're the host of Stuff You Should Know, one of the biggest podcasts out there. You are clearly one of the elite, my right, friend. Right. <laughs> you also host our, uh, our film podcast. <laughs> There's a lot of crossover here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know if it was supposed to be um, – I think the, the idea is that it's a, a, a depiction of an elite group of uh, a secret society, but – not necessarily that it was supposed to be any particular one, right? Mm. Or are there concrete theories? There are. I mean, like, as, who's it supposed to be? Uh, Illuminati or something? Yeah, of course. Why it's not? All, I mean, it's always the Illuminati. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're you the. You should put that on a t shirt. <laughs> it's always. <laughs> they're the free bird of secret societies. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, in the great <laughs> karaoke conspiracy conversation. The, yeah, so Tom Cruise plays this guy, Dr. Bill Harford. And. He learns that his – they're taught – they have a wild night, right? One of those should-be-nice parties that gets really weird. And then he's talking with his wife, Alice, and he's talking about affairs because this older, I think, Hungarian guy tries to seduce the wife. And then mm-hmm. someone's also concurrently trying to seduce him. They make it out and skate. They go home and he's like, well, it was – Crazy. Uh, can you believe that, honey? And then she says That's something. It's a good Tom Cruise, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I learned it from Connell. <laughs> and uh, and uh, there's, there's this moment where his wife says, actually, I have seriously considered having an affair. There was this one guy, yeah. this one real smoke show. I, you know, I thought about leaving you and the kid. And this, it, this is sort of the impetus that sets – Tom Cruise's doctor character out into this this world of murky secrecy. People who believe there's some sort of hidden message there uh, point to what they say are numerous occult symbols in the film. And the film's heavy on symbols. That's true. You know, it's a lot of masked, uh, indelicate interactions. A lot of CGI uh, sex stuff mm-hmm. that they had to like cover things up to get to make it get an R rating, I think. Like mm-hmm. during the orgy scene, they yeah. actually had to like insert fake people to cover up some of the yeah. pen- penetrative moments. And yeah. I would watch a cut where they where they did a purposely bad job of that. Mm. You know, where like some guy from catering is walking <laughs> the out. Janitor from the Nirvana video just yeah, kind of yeah, walks yeah. through the frame with his mop. <laughs> and the mop is of course in rhythm too. Yes. You know. yeah, yeah. God. So I just want to inject something here yeah. that has to do with our discussions of these 1999 movies because Eyes Wide Shut is also a 1999 yeah, movie. Yeah, we covered the Matrix and Fight Club so far. Yeah. One of the major themes in these movies, all three of these movies from 1999 is that there's something very wrong with society. We either as just a regular human being existing within it can't either see it, can't do anything about it, or we need to change it, or we're all of a sudden made aware of it. So within Eyes Wide Shut in the Matrix, all of a sudden Tom Cruise in this the scenario, Ben, you talked about, he's just all of a sudden made aware of this crazy elite secret society. Mm-hmm. Neo becomes aware of the Matrix. Um, the narrator in Fight Club becomes aware of just how society actually well, is. Well, how banal his life and his existence is and how futile the whole thing yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. So it's um, and it's kind of maybe it's that whole concept of coming up on the new millennium. Yeah. That perhaps that in people's heads. Yeah, I'd I'd like to know mm. if you think there's anything to that. Um, with Stanley Kubrick deciding to depict the secret society in the way he did, mm. the, the people who truly pull the strings, it's almost um, it's not a comment or a response to any of that stuff, but maybe it's kind of showing us here's the real. Here are the real people that 
pull the strings in our society. They're people who go to board meetings and have crazy right. parties um, because they just have all the power and money. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at the end of Eyes Wide Shut, though, um, spoiler, and you believe the, what the movie has to say, then they are nothing but a a group of um, sort of horned up rich people. Exactly. And the girl is not dead. She she was she's this this you know Sidney Pollack explains it all at the end, and it's like you know all these crazy ideas that you've got about what's going on there, and that there's shadowy murders and cover ups. It basically were just like a bunch of perverts. Well, it's kind of like what we <laughs> talked about with Hodgman when he was on stuff that I want you to know, and he sort of shed some light into his uh, uh, entree into the book and snake um, yeah, uh, group story. in Yale when he was his time at Yale, and how at the end of the day, it was just kind of like a swanky party for people to do some networking. And he's much more, if we're being honest, he's he's much more focused on his medallion status rather than <laughs> any sort of secret collegiate society. Medallion status dot bit dot ly. Yeah, <laughs> all capital letters. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's weird because whenever we get to the point of any theorizing, when we're whenever we get to the point where we're asking people to interpret a symbol, right, something mm-hmm. subjective, uh, we're no longer looking at something quantitative like a mathematical equation. We're looking at someone who's saying, well, I think, I think that looks like a triangle with an eye in it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, I mean, what's the difference? Like, at what point are we just reading tea leaves? You know what I mean? I, I see what you're saying there. But isn't there some, isn't there an extra onion layer to this? Didn't, Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Stanley Kubrick die before this movie yes. was released? Six yes. days after he had a screening, he died, which is such yeah. fertile territory. But for didn't, didn't somebody else have to go in and – no, that's not true. I'm thinking of AI. Right. That, that was, was his that, original that was, yeah. that was different. That was, that was different. Yeah, he, but. he got in a fight with the studio about how to cut it, which I think you alluded to earlier, Noel. Um, for Eyes Wide Shut? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. To get that – the, I guess it was too, too racy for an R rating. Yeah. Right? Well, but then – I guess here's my question that I don't have an answer to is like in theory, they were pretty close to releasing this movie, but somebody, maybe the distributor could go through and make changes. Whoever owns the rights to it after his passing, Mm -hmm. like could go through and make some sweeping changes to the story before it comes out in theaters. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's one of the reasons that it, some of the conspiracy theories continue to proliferate because something could have happened that we would never be privy to. It's true. I'm I'm just going to okay, I'm just going to say it. This is just one person's opinion. I don't think there's much sand to conspiracy like a, as tempting and as juicy as it is cognitively to say Stanley Kubrick, uh, an, an immensely talented director, uh went too far and he crossed the line and the powers that be were like don't tell people about our orgies. Now we're going to kill you. Right. As as tempting <laughs> as that is to believe and as frankly fun as it is to believe he was an older man who was not in the best shape you know he hadn't taken very great care of himself i believe he's 70 years old it's not like he was 21 years old and found with two gunshots to the back of his head right uh but it does bring out something i think could be uh, could have much more credibility to it which is the idea that um a government or the idea of specifically the U.S. government may be able to play a role in determining what kinds of films get 
created or mm-hmm. what kind of films get depicted. Like it blew my mind when I learned that this is for all our aspiring filmmakers out there. You can get the U.S. military to do stuff for you on screen. Oh, yeah. As long as you depict them as heroes, right? Or at least in a way that they agree upon. Yeah. Which I had no idea. Like I'm not sure how much say they have in whether or not something gets made Mm -hmm. these days. But they can certainly – if you're making a war movie or anything that involves the the army, then they can make it really easy for you or they can sit on their hands and make it tougher. But they'll be like, sure, if they like what you're doing, how many tanks do you need? You need some helicopters? Whoa. <laughs> We're wasting our time podcasting. Do you know what the fees are for that? <clears throat> uh, no, I don't know. Oh, sure man, we need to find out. <laughs> uh, but what about even on like a branding level? Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, are we – are filmmakers allowed to use Army, Navy, et cetera, without permission? Like, is No, like, you've no. got to clear everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I imagine, yeah, they would – they ask for the use and what are you going to do with it? And then either say yes or no. Hey, have you guys seen the trailer for the new Top Gun movie? Yes. I'm actually kind of excited. I am too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel obligated to watch it. You know, I feel like it's inevitable. It is. It's just a teaser, right? Like you don't really see his face. Is there a no, new one? there's a full trailer. There's a full now. one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just saw the teaser one. Okay, I got I oh, to check it out. I got to say, I was not like, I saw Top Gun enough because it was just the zeitgeist. Yeah. But I wasn't some big Top Gun nut. But when I saw that trailer, I found myself going, "Why do I? Why am I so in love with the idea of this movie?" <laughs> I know. Well, they—it's probably pure nostalgia. It's the way they shoot, for me at least, mm-hmm. the way they actually shoot the jets, mm-hmm. because it brings out the kid in me that played yeah, with Tony a little Scott. toy F fourteen, and I was just like, "Oh man, this is so cool." Um, but we 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 hit on something really important mm-hmm. here, Ben. Of the concept of controlling what can be seen and like government involvement with that. And I really want to get into that after a quick word from our sponsor. So as you can tell, one of the reasons that we all are so passionate about film is because we're, we're passionate about stories. We're passionate about communicating this way. But film isn't the only way to encounter a story. As a matter of fact, one of our other favorite ways to participate in a story or listen to a story is through an audiobook. And that's why we recommend Audible. And hey, wonder of wonders, it's the holidays. It's the perfect time to think about getting yourself or a friend or family member an Audible membership. And right now, with this special offer, you can get 53% off your first three months. That's right. You can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two exclusive Audible originals. You cannot hear anywhere else. And right now, for a limited time, you can get those three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. As you said, Matt, that's more than half off the regular price. And with Audible, you can access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, even stuff like Cloud Atlas. Yes, that's correct. Uh, One of the books that I've been enjoying very much uh, via Audible is Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. You may have heard of the film. Uh, Check out the novel. I got to say it's astonishing, and the way it's constructed uh, makes it incredibly immersive to listen to. So don't delay. Right now, for a limited time, get those three months of Audible for just $6.95. Again, half off the regular price. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely 
absolutely free. All you have to do is visit audible.com slash conspiracy or text conspiracy to 500-500. That's audible.com slash conspiracy or text conspiracy to 500-500. And we're back. So the question, the question uh, at... Uh, at the table. Sure. On, on the, yeah, sure. this is a okay. table. We're at a table. Well, okay, there we go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, the the question uh, that we're looking at currently is uh, whether the whether a government, specifically the U.S. government, can influence the kind of films that get made or the kind of narratives we see. Uh, the answer to that in days of yore was yes, mm. you know, to, to some degree or another. Uh, but the answer – now maybe becomes a little more complicated, right? We have indie uh, – there's this democratization of filmmaking technology. So we have more people who don't have to be beholden to a studio. But I I don't know, man. I know it's very on brand for me to be like the CIA is dictating MCU or something like that. I don't think they would bother. But. I, I would say the the control mechanisms to a large part are still in place, but it's mostly – the the distribution arms like you you could make the coolest indie film ever but you may not get anyone to see it no matter how trending something becomes if it's not you know fully out there somewhere uh and you've got ads popping up ever somebody's paying for ads somebody's paying for posters somebody's paying for all this stuff you're not going to have the same reach uh, maybe that's maybe that's wrong thinking though because anything that goes viral online could be potentially seen by well, that's hundreds true. Of of people. I mean, that's why no one's cracked the code on how to make things go viral per se. Right? Uh, this is the this is one of those things that you and I have differing opinions okay. on. What well, do you think? Well, uh, you think it's all like staged? Well, there's more. Sure, there are more opportunities to spread things, but there are fewer people holding the faucets of that information. To to say that Facebook could not artificially make something quote unquote viral, to to say that they don't have that capability is Willfully, I'm not uh, saying they yeah, don't. No, willfully wrong. I, I absolutely think they they do, but I also would like to believe that things succeed or fail on their own merits at least some of the time. I would think so. Yeah, I would. I don't think. I, I don't think we're in the grips of some uh, corporate Sith overlord. I mean, if that cat playing the piano video didn't succeed just because of its sheer awesomeness, <laughs> then I don't know what I believe anymore. Yeah, you know? what a chaotic universe. Yeah, there's a oh. This is one example that I think is very real. Have have you guys as film buffs noticed uh, the the tendon like the the growth of the Chinese mainland film market? Right, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you guys noticed that uh, the tendency for blockbuster films to be recut, have scenes added or deleted for the Chinese market? We've talked about this, right? Like they they don't like. Ghosts. There's certain things they don't like. They, they have to take out. Mm-hmm. I think ghost is one of them. If I'm not totally just out on a limb with that one, no ghosts and Chinese cuts of no. I'm not okay. Maybe that's not that, but there are definitely some cultural things that like they have to soften and language that they have to soften. Paul said that was true about yeah. the ghosts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought I didn't make that up. Have you um, seen examples of this? Well, I mean, the only thing I can think of is something sort of obvious, like, uh, and not for the the Chinese market necessarily, but didn't they fully Recut or not recut, but digitize the enemy for the Red Dawn remake. Oh, Whoa. if I, I'm not mistaken, it was originally 
I'm not sure. I think it maybe originally was China. Uh, and they had to go back and digitally replace the insignias and the flags and make it uh, another country, if I'm not mistaken. That's interesting. And I, I, I wouldn't doubt that, but especially seeing what we're seeing with China – holding so much sway over, like, American, like, like American companies having to censor stuff. Oh, yeah. Or, like, the NBA, for example, right. you know, oh, like, yeah. wanting to play ball with, with China because they have so much control over the purse strings. And that's true because a lot of movies that flop in the States do gangbusters business over in China. Pacific Rim. 100%. Yeah. So, you know, Did you don't want to— China? Yeah, oh, yeah. Really? It's the reason they made the second one. Oh, really? Entirely because of what <laughs> happened in China. And then when they made the the second Pacific Rim, there's this very um, there's this very apparent leaning into this uh, Chinese market. Uh, Charlie Day's character, mm-hmm. for some reason, is is like the white guy who speaks Mandarin. Uh, yeah. And, and then there's also a uh, Chinese general who I believe gets a lot – he doesn't really get many lines in the American version. Mm. It's just that thing where there's a conversation between like two principal characters and the camera keeps cutting to this guy just sort of reacting. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And so I think he gets actual lines in the Chinese version. But wow. that's that's a clear example that gives truth to this conspiracy theory. On some level, there are, governments are able to control entertainment media. Yes, absolutely. And just to confirm, it was originally the Red Dawn remake was originally – uh, China Chinese okay. flags, okay. and it got changed to North Korean flags. Oh, oh that's right. And it's so they don't miss out because it's a billion billion human beings that yeah. you're. And they possibly... knew they had a garbage movie on their hands, <laughs> and that American audiences wouldn't go see it. Well, have you have y'all uh, just to bring this back into I guess current pop culture in 2019? The new season of South Park is oh, out, yeah. and one of the things they hit early on in the season is this concept of Disney. And films and all of these things changing their scripts specifically so that the film in its regular, its uh, original form mm-hmm. would just perform and be able to be released in China as well. Like c- catering the full thing, not mm-hmm. just recutting mm-hmm. a version of it or something. Um, it's just fascinating to me. But it was all about Disney and all the varying properties and uh, how they were doing this. So they're they're just making Chinese friendly movies. Yeah, again, this is South Park commenting on a situation. Well, then it must be true. <laughs> right. You got to remember too. It's like it's not like every American movie ends up in China. They have very tight control over which ones get in, right? Sure. So yeah. therefore, you want to level the playing field by like, oh, maybe China. Hopefully, China will take our big giant expensive movie, right? So that we have this whole other because Charlie money Day speaks Mandarin. That's right. 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 Yeah, and, so the, and that oh, guy nodded a bunch. N- not only that, I was just looking it up. Um, uh, apparently, um, in uh, Gravity, in the Sandra Bullock movie, mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock uh, survives by hiding in a Chinese space station. Um, the movie 2012, humanity is saved because the Chinese government builds these uh, life-saving kind of like arc ships or whatever. Interesting. So there's, you know, there's definitely thought being put into like how can we please China so that we can get that sweet, sweet, you know, Chinese uh, business. Your show is probably not in China, right? Well, no, I don't know if we can get into China. After, Let's check. After I don't think your show is in China. There's no way. No. Are, are you guys? Do you, is, I think I remember at one point someone said that we were not available in China for stuff you should know. Huh. Guys, we got to learn Mandarin or Cantonese, okay. right? <laughs> Just we've got the weekend coming up. We'll, we'll solve that. Right. Uh, this – so – 
spoiler alert, uh, there there was another historical conspiracy we wanted to talk about that perhaps is an episode of its own, the Red Scare and the House Un-American Activities yeah. Committee. Uh, but we want to give that due diligence. And also, I think this is something that we're wondering and um, our fellow listeners are wondering, for you specifically, Chuck, what are some of your favorite, like most out there fan theories about films or franchises? Not even like real quote unquote conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. but like the craziest stuff that fans have come up with. Uh, and also, do you believe it or disbelieve it? So are we doing blacklist or are we doing <laughs> fan theories? <laughs> fan theories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do we could do uh we could do fan theories, yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked, Ben. <laughs> There's a few popular ones uh, available on the internet. I'm not sure if you know this. Oh, it's really? a repository for stuff like what that. What the heck is the internet? <laughs> uh, there's the, the Toy Story one, which is pretty good. Oh, what's this? Which is that uh, Andy's mom was the original owner of Jesse the Cowgirl. <gasps> Whoa. Okay. Why did that blow your mind so much, Matt? Well, it just connecting it up that much because it was such an important part of the Yeah, because movie. that would make, you know, Jesse sings the song about Emily, you know, that really sad song about her previous owner. Oh. And that would be Andy's mom. Was that in Toy Story 2? I think that was in Toy Story. Yeah, When She Loved Me. Oh. Yeah. Look at you, Matt. Well, I mean, <laughs> I have a four-year-old, man. We've been watching that movie right all the time. All right. That's, that's why. Well, that's why. Before the, that's, that that, that one is actually could be true. And Disney and, and Pixar certainly does. A lot of this stuff. I think they recently admitted that everything is in the same shared universe, right? Yeah, like there's a Frozen theory too about the ship that Elsa and Anna's parents are on, or the same she's the same ship that they find in the Little Mermaid. Oh well, and also that that Tarzan is Frozen. I don't know the the ladies in Frozen. Elsa and Anna. That they are uh, siblings. Yeah. To Tarzan. What? What? Because of the the Elsa and Anna parents that were on this voyage, and they had a boy. And they had a boy that is yeah not that, around. And, and geographically, where they would have been passing through, it might have made sense for him yeah. to you know wash up on a. Oh on my god! Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ferris Bueller is a creation of Cameron's mind. That's always that's been an old one. I you an know oldie but a goodie. I remember hearing that one, and then it made me go back and rewatch Ferris Bueller, which I, I thought was like I thought Day Off was the coolest film. Growing up, you yeah. know, it was a very, it's a very safe, innocuous way to fight the power. Yeah, what uh, was the tagline for that we heard today? Uh, one, one man struggled to take it to easy. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think they didn't franchise Ferris Bueller? He has his day off. Why didn't they do like that? Was going to be a sequel for a while. To the beach, like, yeah. like Ernest style or something. And then there know, was uh, there was a um, a very Ferris Bueller esque television series called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yeah, I watched that. He was the Heath. You kind of look like Parker Lewis. Oh, thanks, man. I think. <laughs> <laughs> he was the he was sort of the Heathcliff to the Garfield of Ferris Bueller. Yeah, you know I actually I mean? like that show. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, he's like cutting a cardboard cutout of himself in yeah. half with a chainsaw. Uh, there, of course, is the Breaking Bad uh, meth led to the Walking Dead uh, what? apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. You never heard that one? It's no. new to me. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. Um, Glenn in season one drives that red Dodge Challenger, uh, which looks like Walter's car. And when Walter went to return that car, the manager of the car dealership's name was Glenn. Uh, Daryl um, is trying to bring down uh, the fever of uh, this other guy at one point. So he pulls out a stash of drugs, and there's clearly like blue meth, yeah. like Walter White's blue meth in the bag. And then one more, uh, Merle 
you know, Michael Rooker's character early mm-hmm. on, he was a former drug dealer. And they described his uh, – in on the show, his supplier as a janky little white guy who threatened him with a gun and said, I'm going to kill you. Can I say the word? Probably can't. So Just you guys do it. curse on here. Just do it. Yeah, use it. I'm going to kill you, bitch. Whoa. So, janky looking white guy. And I, what I think is going on is I think Vince Gilligan – or uh, the, the Walking Dead creators put some like fun little references. Totally. Yeah. But they, I, you know, they have fun with that kind of thing. Filmmakers do, I think. Yeah, people love the the Easter eggs universe. And... Yeah. The following is a high five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. dot com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie. I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over twelve hundred games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. dot com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Uh, the best ever, though, guys. You uh-huh. know the Tommy Westfall universe theory, right? Tommy Westfall universe? From uh, St. Elsewhere. Okay. So St. Elsewhere was a uh, show in the 80s, a hospital show, and very famous for the ending final episode, which was uh, one of the, the doctor's son, his name was Tommy Westfall, Dr. Westfall's kid. And he looks into a snow globe. Well, first of all, a character that has already died is is a, is alive in the living room and is a different person. His dad comes home, the doctor, and he's a construction worker. And so this is the very, very last scene of this whole long series. And then Tommy looks into his little snow globe that he's always playing with, and it is St. Elijah's Hospital 
inside the snow globe. Basically, the idea is that this whole thing, I think Tommy had autism and it was all this world that he created. Oh, wow. oh. So that's the beginning. That's the seed. Okay. Uh, there were so many crossovers and uh, guest spots and characters appearing. Like, for instance, the two doctors went to the Cheers bar one time as those doctors and did a little cameo. So there are all these little tendrils to where they have now linked 419 TV shows to St. Elsewhere, meaning if that was all in his head, then all of these shows are in the head of young Tommy Westfall. Whoa. <laughs> including okay. The X-Files, all of Star Trek. Um, and, dude, if you looked at the list, you can go to – I mean, they have full websites on this. And you look at down the list of 419 shows, you're like, how does MASH have anything to do with wait, it? Wait, wait. So there's a, there's real connections? The real yeah, yeah, real connections. Okay. Okay. Some real, of like, them are universe. sort of thin, but some of them aren't. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Cheers <gasps> begat Frasier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frasier had, like, a guest star that was – ended up on something else. And then somehow that connects to, like, Law & Order. And Law & Order has tendrils – all throughout because all the different shows and all the guest stars. And not just like someone guessed it on the show, but like in character in the fictional worlds. Like Munch uh, from uh, – he's been in like I think X-Files and a bunch of true crime shows. He's in Law and & Order. So that ties all that stuff together. Or like MASH was something I mentioned. Um, one of the doctors on St. Elsewhere one, at one point made a little reference to working with Trapper John who was the, one of the doctors in MASH. So, like, that's how that fits in. And then MASH reaches another couple of things. Oh, my God. I'm looking at the grid. Uh-huh. Yeah. There is a visual <laughs> grid online that you can find. Holy um, cow. And it's uh, – <laughs> this is at 11 percent. I'm looking at 11. Oh, wow. It goes all the way in to Chicago. Pretty Hope, funny. To picket fences. But, like, Arrested Development is on there. Like, <laughs> great shows. Alpha is on there. So this spans decades. And they all – yeah. I mean, they're basically saying, like – Close to 420 shows. Ooh, 420 shows. this is shows. simulation theory. It very much That's is. That's what this is. is he's, yeah. the, he's like the god of the Matrix, basically, Tommy Westfall. Um, if you guys are familiar with the uh, the PBS Digital Studios show Idea Channel, mm-hmm. which I don't know if they produce that anymore, but I, I used to love it. I think i got to start watching it again if they do. But there is a Tommy Westfall, uni- Westfall excuse me, universe episode of – uh, of that show, oh really? Where he goes through and does does all of the connections. So nice. we should credit the original guy too. It's a comic book and TV writer named Dwayne McDuffie. Uh, put this forward in a 2002 blog post. That's all. It's very 2002 bloggy. If you think about it, <laughs> it is. Also, I got this theory, guys. Do you? I mean, I kind of miss that that idea. You know, I I don't watch. I mean, television is kind of changing anyway. But I I I don't watch a ton of stuff. But I would love it if I was watching, I don't know, if Black Mirror had a Stranger Things reference mm-hmm. in there somewhere, that, that kind of stuff. No, I, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you. Yeah. And it is a little harder these days because I think back then with like three networks, mm-hmm. uh, there could be more crossover. But it's hard to like, you know, Apple's making TV shows now. Are they going to reference something from like CBS? You know, are they going to reference Everybody Loves Raymond or something? <laughs> right. I think right. it was a lot easier to cross over in those days. That's true. I do miss it too, though. That'd be kind of cool. I'm sure this one continues. And now I'm sure people are trying to write in Tommy Westfall connections. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, just right. to like be a part of that whole thing. I'm obsessed with this. There's even cartoons <laughs> that are cool, isn't it? Yeah. Like Dexter's Laboratories on here. and Well, then you can click on it and see what the link is so to, cool. the, the, to Tommy Westfall. So cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty neat. I, I, I was unaware of this. I, you I, I you can aware. really spend 
some time. Yeah. It is a real rabbit hole. I love that. These kind of rabbit holes are inspiring to me because they think like, okay, this guy was doing other stuff with his life. He discovered this. And D- now Dwayne McDuffie. Dwayne McDuffie yeah. is 2002 blog post. And now it's taken on a life of its own. And like. Did he get paid for this? Did he? I don't know. It's, it feels like a passion project. It feels like a, a mission. And, uh, you know, I fell asleep trying to put on a pair of pants one time. So, right. like, this guy is really <laughs> being productive. Yeah, it's sort of like the Kevin Bacon. I, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, at one point in the mid-'90s when I was living in New Jersey, I met the guy who created the Kevin Bacon s- Degrees of Separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to call it a meme. Wasn't a meme back then, guys. <laughs> what no, was it? A rumor? You know what our memes are? We would draw pictures and hand them around to one another. <laughs> oh, that is wow. so charming. What a distribution model. <laughs> I don't know what to call it, though. But if I'm not mistaken, and this just popped into my head, I think I met that guy at a party once. Tommy Westfall? No. no. <laughs> the the guy who created the Kevin Bacon separation thing, seven it, degrees of uh, separation. I wonder, did he, did Six he degrees. introduce himself as that guy? Uh, he was introduced to me as such. Okay, And I, I, the reason I remember, because I think he was developing a board game at the time. And, you know, supposedly, I guess he owned this idea. Is it I don't Patrick know if you Reynolds? Can tra- trademark that? Did you look it up? It's, I'm Maybe. looking at the Oracle of Bacon. I would. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm hungry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I certainly wouldn't remember who it was. This was just some random Barney. This This is strange. Okay, so this, I mean, researching this interconnected universe is very much uh, there goes my weekend moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, sorry. Yeah, oh no, it's, <laughs> it's gonna, been out there it, for a while. It's going to be worth it. Uh, but I, I do want to let everybody know we had mentioned briefly uh, House on American Activities Committee. Would you be interested in making a return appearance for us to do an episode just on that? Sure. Okay. Uh, because I, I feel like maybe we did, and this is my bad, we did a bit of a tease, and it was like, no, cut that. Let's go to <laughs> fan theories. Uh, but I have no regrets because I feel like we learned a lot. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've certainly got a, a rabbit hole to play in, a sand sandbox, rabbit box. This is going to be one of those times Cat w- box, where you and I hang the, out at the local bar reading the same yeah. webpage and just not talking to each other. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> do it after this. <laughs> Can I ask one last thing before we oh wrap, God, wrap yeah, up? Please. Do you think we, we mentioned, and you just mentioned it again, the House of Un-American Activities mm. thing. Do you think there could be a time specifically in the United States of America where something like that could happen again? Like where yes. the government steps <laughs> up? You think so? I think it's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily just that, but for sure. Yeah? I think I think lately we've all seen how out of hand things can get. Wow. Just inching towards totalitarianism. You know? I mean... One day at a time. And it's like we always say, it's like the whole, you know, frog in boiling water situation where it happens slowly and then before you know it, you're dead. Well, one thing, uh, since I know we're past Halloween, but it it, it feels like it's always Halloween in America nowadays. Um, (laughs) It's true. One thing that we have uh, that we have to consider is that the most vulnerable point of any any nation's life cycle is always going to be the succession of power, the mm-hmm. succession of power. And so uh, when I was studying North Korea uh, years and years back in a different lifetime, that was the thing that put everybody on international alert. When one of the Kims is going to say, okay, my son, this chosen Kim mm-hmm. is now going to be in charge, 
hope everyone's cool with that mm-hmm. because there are a bunch of other people. There's all this internal stuff. We we have been very fortunate uh, that we are in the U.S. We're not a country like Italy. Italy has not had a very good run of contiguous governance for what <laughs> the past 50 plus years. Uh, but here in the U S we sort of take it for granted that when an election happens, whether mm-hmm. local, regional or federal, that the person who wins and the person who loses shake hands. We don't know if that's going to happen now. Boy, really took this in a depressing note. Uh, you know, I think if <laughs> Donald Trump loses in the 2020, then, uh, It'll be a really, really interesting transition. I've already, I'm already digging uh, in my backyard to make a place where my family and I can hide for several months. Mm. Um, hopefully, everything goes great and won't need to use it. I don't think like violence will break out necessarily, but uh, I'm having a hard time just picturing him playing nice about it all. Well, that's what we're talking about too, right? Yeah. Like where you know the normal channels, the normal ways things are done that we've all accepted are the ways things are done. This is kind of proven that like maybe it's only done this way if people play nice. That's right. <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, the rule of law is a, is a tenuous thing. You know, the example we always use on this show is uh, we think we take the tack of or the perspective of future historians looking back on 2019. So many things now that we do are going to seem f-ing ridiculous. In like 20 years, forget 100, uh, one of the silliest examples that still holds water is, of course, driving on the interstate, mm-hmm. explaining to like one of your grandkids, well, we used to hop in these things that would go 90 plus miles an hour. And they Wait were a like, how, how is it not 100% mortality? You know? Right, right. Yeah. And like, well, we had this system of lines that we painted mm-hmm. on the ground. So like walls between mm-hmm. cars? No, no, no just paint, uh, okay, just paint. Well, oh, and we mm. all kind of agreed that we would treat these lines as though they were barriers. Uh, so it was kind of an honor system. We like, even had a saying, stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah. It was a very quaint time. Exactly. Don't text or you'll die. <laughs> right. And like, oh, so did that work? And the answer would be like, kind of. I don't know. A shit ton of people died. They'll just yeah. say like, you drove your own cars? Exactly. Yeah. With or, your hands? It reminds me exactly. It reminds me of that scene from Back to the Future 2 where Marty McFly does his like fancy, you know, gun video game moves and the little kids, one of which I believe is young, young Elijah Wood. Oh, really? Says, you have to use your hands, uh, yeah. idiot, you know, <laughs> boomer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, boomer. I love boomer, That's dude. a weird one. So last question that yes. we're wrapping. What was in Marcellus Wallace's briefcase? Oh, looked like a, a yellow light bulb <sighs> from Wait, the art do department. You, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you have behind the scenes? You got some juice on that? No, I got no juice. I, I never really got into the Pulp Fiction theories of – the uh, the portal in Marcella Swallows's neck. Uh-huh. Uh, he was the devil or something. Or and, it being his soul. And the soul is in the, I never got into that stuff. I just I, always kind of took it at face value. I always thought it was gold bars. Yeah, know, I mean, that's re- what I thought in the theater. Uh, in the, the California sun. Yeah, know? and just just a hyper-stylized, hey, here's something valuable in here thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's what it was. Although they okay. big up it a lot Sorry. harder <laughs> than if it were just gold bars in the movie. That's true. They treat it like it's sort of sacred. An almost, irreplaceable, yeah. unique object. That's right. But you know what else is interesting, too? We have to think of Quentin Tarantino's personality. I have never met the guy. Yeah. Uh, he seems like he could get, you know, carried away. Passionate dude. Sure. Uh, so I, you know, maybe he has an explanation to himself or, or, I don't want to be like the party pooper here. Maybe he was just like, okay, just put a put a light bulb in it, 
and make it bright. And someone's like, oh, okay, well, what is it? He's like, no, 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 just roll. Just Throw one of these yellow gels on it. And yeah. If, if call playing, it a day. If yeah. we're playing off of his personality and the weird things that end up on camera for him, maybe it was a pair of solid gold stilettos. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it's just like a foot. Maybe oh, it's just, right. yeah. He's, he's foot guy. He's Yeah. Speaking of shared universes, though, he does a pretty good job of uh, of that in Fantastic, his films. Fantastic, I would say. And it's, it's, I think it's – I can't remember how we – where I was discussing this. It might have been not on a podcast. Weird. Um, but like, yeah, you know, Vincent Vega mm-hmm. is Vic Vega from Reservoir Dogs. Well, I think they're related. Cousin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's more. Like, same there's brand as cigarettes. Same brand of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's Red more. There's, there's more stuff if mm-hmm. we went into exactly. it. Exactly. I just think that's fun. I, I, I like it. Like, yeah, I like, same here. I like that it's building. not over. Yeah, it's world building, yep. but it's not over uh, the top. It's not. It's not beating. Like there's not. There's no exposition about it, which mm-hmm. I think is very strong. You're not required to keep it in mind, mm-hmm. but if you feel like it and want to dig deep, it's a fun thing to like pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. the TV show Lost made a whole, <laughs> however many seasons that uh, counted on fans really overdoing it. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Oh, Having man. very little payoff. Yeah. Were you one of those guys when it was on air? Oh, dude, I was way on. The Fuselage, that was the website. Oh. I went to that yeah. thing. I was all over it, man. I thought it was really, really cool. I, I went deep. I was on spoilerforums.net yeah. talking to Russians about, like, getting the new, not even the new episode early, yeah. getting the new teaser it waned for me as the show went on, but those first few seasons, I was in deep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where you realized there was no way they were going to be able to cash this check mm-hmm. that they wrote. Like, there's just not enough episodes left, you know? Yeah. Um, but thinking back, and this is how I feel oftentimes when shows that I love initially kind of jump the shark, I don't know that it affected my overall – I still enjoyed my time with the show. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't make me just, like, completely throw it under the bus forever. I don't know. But they, yeah. they did a great job with shared universe fan theories too, yeah. right? Even tied yeah. into Cloverfield mm-hmm. a bit tenuously. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. I that, like that. Uh, which which is the one with the uh, the Cloverfield movie with the underground layer? Oh, yeah. Uh, Ten Cloverfield, Cloverfield Lane, Lane or whatever. That's it. That was yeah. great. I really, love that movie. Really cool movie. I thought it was cool. That's John Goodman, right? Yeah. 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 Playing a real nasty uh, SOB. And I was like, come on, man. You're the guy from – Roseanne, be cool. <laughs> uh, do you want to hear my little name droppy lost story? Yes. So uh, I went to uh, meet our friend John Hodgman, who mm-hmm. has been on this very show. I went to meet him for dinner one time in L.A. at the Chateau Marmont in the, the mm. dining room there. Very cool. Only time I've been there is by his invitation. And uh, I was waiting in the lobby, uh, waiting, waiting, waiting. And he said, I'm finishing dinner. It was just like right behind me with a friend. Just like hang out there for a minute. We'll go get a drink. Uh, also, when I happened to see John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, they walked right by me, caught eyes with Krasinski, mm. and he gave me a very nice acknowledging smile and nod. And I was like, he is a good guy. You can tell just because <laughs> no. he looked at me and went, and just kind of smiled. That aside, that's one name drop. Uh, Hodgman finally texted me and said, come on over to the table because we're going to be a little bit longer. It's Damon uh, Lindelof. 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 Sitting there, and I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> and it was right after Lost. Oh, wow. And um, I sat down, and within like two minutes, he went, all right, you got to be honest. And he was like, I've just met you. I don't know you. John and I were talking about the end of Lost. And he was like, were you a fan? I was like, yeah. And he's like, what did you think about the last episode? No. Whoa. <laughs> no pressure. Shoot. No pressure at all. And I was honest. And I went, <clears throat> yeah. I was like, <laughs> it was all right. 
I was like, I got to say, I said, I love the show. Yeah. I said, but I, I didn't love the ending. And he was very sweet about it. And he, and he said, see, because I guess John was saying like, no, people loved it. And he took that as ammunition to be like, see there, this guy's being honest. Like, I think he might have thought his contention might have been that we dropped the ball a little bit. But you got to remember, too, like that show, they didn't intend for it to run that long. No, I think it was they were like doing oops. well. Yeah. And then the, the studios are like, keep it going, guys. Yeah. Keep that yeah. that juice well, flowing. Sure. And so it, then they kind of write themselves into a corner and like, what are they going to yeah, do? Yeah, I bet well, you that's what happened. Telenovela, you know, and it's almost like the Dark Tower novel series. You know, it, it keeps it keeps going. And at some point uh, – like there's this beautiful moment when you're writing a story and you're creating a world where you're in the middle of it. Anything's uh-huh. possible, right? And you get toward the end and you're like, well. Polar bears. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to those guys, right? I'll never smoke forgive monsters. him. Yeah, I'll never forgive him for the smoke monster. <laughs> I thought it was I cool. wanted that to be something so much more. Yeah. What did it end up being again? Can we spoil? I can't even remember. Yeah. So it, was the, it was the embodiment of the spooky bad guy in black. Because there, the there were the two siblings, right? Canaan. And Enable ask, yeah, of, right? yeah, yeah. I don't even remember. This any is of too this much, stuff, guys. Man. This is too much lost. <laughs> it's too much lost. We have we have people yelling at their uh, podcast player of choice right now. <laughs> David is making Watchmen right now on HBO, and it looks dope. It's so, great. Oh, uh, is that his? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw the pilot. I liked it. I, it's it's really well done, and of course, Alan Moore hates it. He is. Uh, but he, that means he's already <laughs> vocal that he hates it. He hates everything. Yes. Well, that's yeah. my point, though. Is he, he actually spoken about it, or is we just assuming that he hates? He's it? a great writer who only writes to support his habit of being a full time curmudgeon. Like that's his first love. I know he lives in a very small village uh, and has lived in the same place, a very small, uh, modest home. Mm-hmm. He worships a snake god called Glycan, mm-hmm. um, and he uh, is is very into you know witchcraft and Aleister Crowley. He used kind to of stuff. have these amazing YouTube videos about magic where it starts out with like, okay, you'll get this because we've all worked in production. It starts out with like an empty chair mm. just in an empty room and then there's a there's like a hard cut and he's just sitting there and he's like, oh, magic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, on that note though, I think Al Moore is a fantastic writer. Yeah. Um, Genius. Yeah, and so uh, barring a lost uh, a lost reboot, a gritty <laughs> reboot of Lost. What if we call that? I don't know. Befuddled. Uh, yes. Bar- found. How about found? Oh, yeah, oh, found. No. See, there Bring we that movie crusher symbiosis. Nice. <laughs> uh, and where can people find Movie Crush if they want to learn more about the world of film? Uh, well, you know Ben and the <laughs> iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. That's our official CTA. <laughs> Heard that somewhere. It's that, like it's, ringing in my ears. Sounds familiar. Uh, this is, thank you so much for coming on Thanks the show. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, it's long overdue. You no, know? I think year 10 or whatever is a good time to have me on. Better <laughs> late than never is what I say. I would say if you are – if you like this show and you've maybe joined our Facebook group uh, – Movie Crush has a Facebook group that has just the most fantastic people on it to discuss yeah. things. Movie Crushers. Yeah, Movie Crushers, similar to Our Here's Where It Gets Crazy. So, like, it's just another great place to – a group to join if you are a fan of Movie Crush or if you like the show. Yeah, and if you like movies, it's just a nice community of people who aren't jerks to each other 
and who share ideas about movies that are very respectful and it's cool. And Chuck, I might be being a dumb dumb and asking this, but do you post the mini crush questions on the page or on the actual like on the group or on the page? I, I post it on the movie crush Facebook page. Facebook page. So if you want to get in on that and you want to join the the group, which is its own thing, join the conversation. As but they join say. the conversation for the show. Chuck literally posts questions the day before we do these mini crush episodes, where it's just he and I kind of having conversation starters that that folks on the Facebook page submit. Yeah, and I read your name. You read your name. You, you, <laughs> like, you can become an old pal. Like yeah, uh, there's status. A, a good friend. Like, it's really a whole thing. And yeah. you've got some recurring suggestions and, and people, right, in the page? Because it sure. seems a very supportive community. Yeah, it's great. But don't take our word for it, folks. Uh, check it out yourself. Uh, that is, as uh, as Chuck mentioned, that is all. Uh, Movie Crush is also one of the only places where you can hear our super producer Paul Mission Control Deckett actually speaking. That's correct. Okay, I just leaned over to make sure Paul's still <laughs> cool with us. Uh, Absolute pleasure to have you on. Of course, if you want to find out more about stuff they don't want you to know, film conspiracies, you can check out our Kubrick episode, which is available on the iHeartRadio app, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite shows. If you say, guys, I want to talk to you and Chuck, but I hate the social meds, we of all folks get it. You can contact us directly. We have a, a phone number. Yeah, it's one eight three three. S-T-D-W-Y-T-K. We ritualized that. That's one. true. Yeah. Sort of an incantation. Uh, if you don't want to do that either, you can hit us up on Instagram and uh, Twitter and all that. We're either a conspiracy stuff or conspiracy stuff show on mm. all of those. Some variation there. Yeah, some variation there. You can find us individually as human people um, disconnected from the show. I am at How Now Noel Brown on Instagram exclusively. You can find me getting kicked into and out of various communities, regions, and countries at Ben Bolin on Instagram, named in a burst of creativity. You can also find me at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. You can find me at Ollie Cluster Stuff versus the Nazis. Uh, that's just uh, another David Lind. Lind- what is his name? David Lind- Lindelof? Lindelof. Lindelof. It's Damon, though. Damon. Guys. Damon Lindelof. Sorry, it's another one of his shows. Have some respect. David's I don't his know. I, did, I never met him at Chateau Marmont. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> dig. Uh, you can't find me on social media, so come up and shake my hand. I'm not on Instagram or Twitter. Oh, That's snap. how you know it's not a deep fake, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, and hey, uh, Matt, riddle me this. If someone hates social media, they hate phones, they hate, I don't know, uh, pigeons or whatever, uh, we have one more way they can contact us. We have a good old-fashioned email, right? Yes, it is. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. 
the hottest games right from Vegas, and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Tired of routine Walgreens trips? Get rewarded for shopping with Drop. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards on groceries, gas, and more. Download Drop now and use code DROP55 to get $5 in points. Join Drop today. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.